Are you ready, Christine? Sure, sure am. Are you ready, Ma? Well, yes, I am. Let's go. Let's go. First, I'm going to tell you the name of the movie, and then I'm going to let you guess where we're going. The name oh. of the movie is It Happened in Brooklyn. You can wonder where it could be. But it doesn't start in Brooklyn. Oh. It starts in England. Cheerio. A returning GI and his friends try to make it in the music business. Nerd alert. I mm. asked, you know, our military um, musician. Head, yeah, head guru. Um, oh, excuse me. No. Chris Cuba. Our legend. <laughs> well, legend in music, but you know, what does GI stand for? Because gastrointestinal. <laughs> when it's when it's got tracked after it. Um, and he said government infantrymen. And I said, so even if um, somebody wasn't in the infantry, they were still considered a GI. And he said, well, look it up. Because I said, I thought it stood for government issue. You are right. Here's a go. Uh -huh. So G.I. Joe is a government issue, Joe? Well, G.I. Yeah, it was stood for government issue. But then they started calling, they started calling them G.I.s. And so I, in the article I was reading, it said, and when G.I. Joe came out, it was a toy for boys. And I said, excuse <laughs> me? <laughs> I beg to differ. Oh, contraire, mon frere. Which, that's probably a problematic term that I, I have to check on before no, I go around No, mo mon frere it. is my friend. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, uh, all these, all these things my, bro my childhood. My brother, frere is brother. Frere Jacques, brother Jacques. Okay, so... Um, I was right. GI stood for government issue, but then it became synonymous with um, um, anybody in the armed forces, I guess. A military man. Military man. So now we are ready for the particulars. Oh, the particulars. So it happened in Brooklyn, came out April 4th. I mean, no, that is not what I... <laughs> Dyslexic Aaron strikes again. <laughs> April 7th. That's a 7. 1947. See how there are so many 4s and 7s in that? Yeah. Yeah. Did a, wow. That just did a number on my little brain. All right. The producer, Jack Cummings, who is the nephew of Louis B. Mayer at MGM. Oh, now, he started in the B feature unit, and so he didn't, um, he wasn't just automatically given the reins, but there is some nepotism involved because he is the nephew. So he had to work his way up, but he had to work his way from the B feature. So, you know, it's all about who you know. You got to know somebody. He had a job in the industry. Yeah, and he he carried uh, his own water enough that when his uncle Louis B. Mayer was fired, my man got to stay around and produce more movies. So, okay. you know, he got he showed his work. He put in that and he was like, look what I can do. 
He also produced Born to Dance, Kiss Me Kate, and Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I know that movie. It sounded like a movie you know. The director is Richard Worf, who also directed The Sailor Takes a Wife, 67 episodes of the Beverly Hillbillies, and oh. yeah, he was big time into TV. He was more known as a television director. Uh, he also directed a movie called Blonde Fever. Ooh. Super nerd alert. Okay, this is a, this is one of the all-time great super nerd alerts, guys. Prepare. Pu- push up your glasses, please, for this one. So, you might remember in a past, probably not, though, <laughs> but in a past episode, um... I mentioned something there was some, I couldn't put into words that this concept and so it turns out that in a past episode this guy's Richard Worf's brother is a linguist and he's famous in Wikipedia aka his name is Blue in Wikipedia Benjamin Lee Worf and he is widely known as an advocate for the idea that the differences between the structures of different languages shape how their speakers perceive and conceptualize the world. Oh, wow. This principle has frequently been called the Sapphire-Whorf hypothesis after him and his mentor, Edward Sapir. Sapir. Sapir? S-A-P-I-R. S-A-P-I-E-R? No. S A P I R. Okay. Well, because I asked because in the education field there was a Sapir who was big, but he was in the 80s. I don't know when this guy was, but Worf called it the principle of linguistic relativity. That's very interesting, actually. yeah, that was something that I had heard of, it was, and I couldn't put it into to terms. I was trying to tell you guys about it, how, like, Spanish speakers, they like the way that they think that there's something to that because of the syntax and the way that the words are produced. So it's it's like, like having the... Like in German, don't they put the verb at the end? Go so the street it, across. Ah, well, yeah, So, but it's like that when you, when you like break uh-huh. it down. So then that relativity also affects the perception of it. And so I, I just think that is a fascinating, fascinating thing. I do too. Um, the screenplay is by Isabel Leinart, who also wrote A Stranger in Town, Anchors Away, the Broadway book for a little Broadway show called Funny Girl. Oh, and damn. Nerd Alert. Her Wikipedia, this is what Wikipedia says. She worked in the MGM New York mailroom and she lost her job when she attempted to organize a union. So then she went to LA and became a secretary to a Metro, an MGM screenwriter. And so she was a wild woman and eventually she got caught up in the House of Un-American Committee and she named 23 names which she regretted. But, I mean, that's that's just, that's the unfairness of that whole naming of names and Un-American Committees and things because this is a woman who obviously had 
had goals and and drive and knew what she wanted to go about and and get it done and then like everything could be taken away from you you must name names and then like, she like named names and then she has to live with that which also then the people who name got named have to live with that and it's just this whole cluster cuss i remember living in germany with when you were a newborn and um I, I always thought, wow, I, I had a lot of, okay, I was, I grew up really afraid of the Nazis because, you know, I mean, that had been a pretty big deal. And so I always thought, wow, if somebody came and said, um, you have to name names or we're going to kill your daughter, I was like, <laughs> of course I would name names. I mean, you know what, you know, yeah, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to be that person, but you can't kill my daughter so yeah. i mean and i think that's pretty much how nazism thrived and yeah. survived it was that yeah. whole fear thing of we're yeah. gonna take your family away we're gonna kill you look what we're doing to them you, which side do you want to be on you want to be with us or against us and it's, it's real easy now being all comfortable to be like ah, no but that's it's the same way with cast in america yeah you know but there were brave people who did who yeah. who did that because the world would be a better place for a few years that's, until it all came back. That, that's what that's what's wild, you know. And you can understand why somebody would do something, but understanding isn't the same as like judging. Condoning. Yeah, right. Like saying right. That, that that's okay. It's like okay, I understand where they made this situation. I don't, I don't know what what I would do honestly. I don't, that's how with anything right. with any people. Are always I like, would like to think I'd yeah. be that hero, but I I know in a school shooting I would be in front of the kids. I know that, but um, as far as not me, <laughs> no. <laughs> Tina Turner's not another hero. Just right on. Just play. We don't need another hero. <laughs> she wrote that for me. Don't go looking at me to save anybody. So, so now if I happen to, sheer luck. Broken clock. <laughs> right twice. Okay, are we to set the table or oh, you no. still have particulars? Jeez. I'm sorry. Oh, so we're to the story. It was by Jack Mc. Going McGowan, who also did Say When, Pardon My English, and Girl Crazy. The music is by Johnny Green, who did An American in Paris, Easter Parade, High Society, West Side Story, and maybe you've heard of a song called Body and Soul. So this man was he was bona fides. He's like one of the all-time old-time greats. There's six songs by Sammy Khan, who wrote the lyrics. He also wrote the lyrics for Let It Snow, Ain't That a Kick in the Head, Come Fly With Me, and Love in Marriage, among many others. The composer was Jewel Stein, who also wrote the music for Girls, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, mm. People from Funny Girl, and Gypsy, to name a few. So the music... <laughs> Oddly enough, in this film, was by All Star Bonafides. Oh, well, not all of the songs, right? No, I'm I'm saying that the people who behind the song. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, 
pretty interesting. The piano solos were done off screen by a teenage Andre Previn, mm-hmm. who is a famous musician and composer, but also the ex-husband of Mia Farrow, oh. who was also the ex-wife of Frank Sinatra. Ooh. Oh. How mm-hmm. interesting. But this was all years, years later, yeah, like 20 yeah. years in the future. The director of photography is Robert H. Planchick, who also shot Anchors Away, Three Musketeers, and Little Women. And the editor is Blanche Sewell, who worked at MGM from 1925 to 1949. We talked about her when we did Grand Hotel, when we did The Wizard of Oz. She also edited The Gorgeous Hussy. The Gorgeous Hussy? The Gorgeous Hussy. Oh. Nerd alert, she, her brother, her brother was married to the sister of Walt Disney's wife. So Walt Disney was her brother-in-law, I think is what my note is trying to say. Hmm. And she consulted on the original Disney Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Starring Frank Sinatra as Danny Miller. He was also in Ocean's Eleven, Anchors Away, and From Here to Eternity. Catherine Grayson as Anne Fielding, who was also in Anchors Away, Showboat, and Kiss Me Kate. Peter Lawford as Jamie. He was also in Ocean's Eleven, The Longest Day, Easter Parade, and Nerd Alert. In real life, was the brother-in-law to JFK, RFK, and the rest of the Kennedy clan when he was married to... Patricia Kennedy from 1954 to 1966. Um, he was also a member of the Rat Pack and one of those early people who was just famous for being famous. Yeah. We have the Jimmy. Looks had a little bit to do with it. Mm-hmm. And um, his social class and yeah. cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have Jimmy Durante who played <laughs> Nick Lombardi. He was also in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Speak Easy with Buster Keaton, the man who came to dinner. He was also the voice of Frosty the Snowman from the 1968-1969 animated classic. And he's famous for referring to his nose as his schnozola. I always see him and I always think, that's not a banana, that's my nose. There were always jokes about his nose. Because... What a schnozola that it, man had. It was massive. Woo-hoo-hoo! Gloria Graham as the nurse. She was in It's a Wonderful Life, The Bad and the Beautiful, and The Big Heat. And Tamara Shine as Mrs. Cardos, who is in Nanachka, The Jolson Story, and Song of Russia. And those are your particulars. Ooh, take a drink. Well, the movie begins with a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge behind the credits. Then we go to England and we meet Danny at a party of GIs before coming home from England after World War II. They argue, oh, and then, but wait a minute, because I have my notes Okay. They, then he meets um, a nurse 
the uh, Gloria Graham from um, It's a Wonderful Life, where she was Violet. Mm-hmm. I felt like her name was Trixie and something, but. <laughs> and they argue who is the biggest Brooklynite. And uh, then Danny meets a Duke and promises to help his grandson become a ladies' man. What could go wrong? I mean, what a ridiculous premise for a film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Making a dude into a ladies' man. And yet it has uh, happened over and over again, right? Yeah, and he's rich, and the Duke, and he's in England, and they just won the war. Yeah. You're going to be all right. And he's attractive. There's not going to be a problem. Um, Okay, so we are to people of color count. (laughs) I'm going to say zero. There was zero, but there was that opera scene where I'm pretty sure that they just cast all white actors and it was something, but don't worry, I've, I have more in the next category for this. Because she, cause she put on brown face for that. She definitely did darken her skin. She Although, did. and so this is that thing of the, bi- so yeah, sometimes the, the times that we live in, they, they just do numbers on your brain. So I was looking at, what's her name? Catherine Grayson. So in her Wikipedia, it mentioned how, you know, she's a I think a contra-alto soprano singer. So she's Contralto. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, ain't, I ain't classy. So I fast-forwarded through that. I, and then I got to this point where, and this is, you know, in her times when the 50s and said that she was like a Republican and stuff. So I, I did a little bit of my old, like, side-eye. But then when I read more in her Wikipedia page, again, according to Wikipedia, it said that she... Um, during the war, she didn't take a whole lot of roles and that she focused on entertaining the troops. And according to Wikipedia, it said that she insisted on only playing to integrated. Um, oh, yeah. So, okay. So I, the, I, the brown face is not ever going to get a, an approval from me, but uh, well done the other part. So, so yes, I, I think we all agree there was none neary lily white as the driven snow. Frank was uh, Italian, though, yes? Yes. I mean, Frank, at that but, point, Italian was considered people of color, but, uh, but not, not for real, though, because um, you couldn't look at him and go, hmm. Exactly. What was his name? Old Blue Eyes. Man, he was skinny. He was so skinny. He was so skinny. What a skinny man. How did he hold that head up? I don't know. Because that grease in his head weighed something. <laughs> okay, so we are to cast. And you Christine, have you got in? Oh, you take it away. Exactly. That's what I say, too. All right. Well, there's the cast about how... There's the three of them. There's Frank Sinatra's character, Peter Lawford's character, and Anne, the uh, Catherine Grayson's character. Right. So they get to sing about their dreams. But as far as the movie's concerned, the dreams... So Danny and Jamie get to... They succeed in their dreams of getting in the music industry. And... I guess that the woman's dreams come true because she marries the man that she loves and he's rich. Because 
what she was she didn't get to be in an opera or anything so wah 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 <laughs> yeah so so a woman is allowed to have modified dreams you can have your big dream but it's not going to happen so go for the little one where you you marry a duke yeah an, an heir of a duke so in that opera that we were talking about where she darkened her skin and it was just a very exotic opera, that was Lachme. It was an Lachme. opera. Lachme. Lachme. Okay, Lachme. Um, it was written by French guys, I think. It takes place in British India and it is, according to Wikipedia, an Orientalist aspects. Oh, that was very popular at that time. Yeah. So Orientalism is the imitation or depiction of aspects in the Eastern world. These depictions are usually done by writers, designers, and artists from the Western world. Mm-hmm. That was why it was interesting because the term Oriental was because you had to like reorient the map because the map is always from a, you know, East, like the European oh. Western. And so then to look at it, you had to like reorient the map. So really? let you in on that perspective. I and never that before. That's, that's yeah. you know what, what though? Now that I think about it, I believe that that was what my seventh grade teacher, Mrs. Quarles, taught me. And she was a woman of color. So yes, shout out to her. Yeah. The Orientalism of like how you had to reorient the map. So oh, okay. um, so you'll notice that that's why you'll see a lot of exotic locations. Like we didn't know where this was. It was just exotic. Um, it, it was also similar to other French operas of the time, a fantastical priest. They have mysterious Hindu rituals and the novelty of colonial English people, AKA darker people doing English, doing British things. You know, they're like, what? They, you know, people lost their minds for that kind of thing. So in, in the and co- in, in the costumes and the staging and everything was so elaborate. It well, it's so different, but you don't know. That's what it's. That's why it's the Orientalism because you're like, well, is this real? Is this authentic? Because a lot of times it wasn't. It was just from. <laughs> You know, what these French guys coming over, what they took from it, which is, which is interesting in its, in its own right of their what they think of it. But to have that be the prevailing point of view and not have the other like what it really is, the right. other half of the equation, which is that's where cast comes involved. So in the actual opera, what was it? Lachma? Lachmi. Lachmi. Lach, Lachmi. I'm the, pretty sure daughter of a Brahmin priest and Brahmin is a Varna, which is a social class within the caste system in India. And that's scholars, priests, and teachers. It's up there. And then there's also as it's also a caste within the Hindu society. So it's interesting how we have caste and this is about India where they Mm -hmm. have their own I, to me, because I'm an outsider, I th- and I'm used to the e- the easy cast of skin color. Like their cast isn't based on skin color, right? It's b- it's based on society and all of these. There's all these different layers to it, but it's super strict, and and they know everything about it because your vocation and it's been going on for so long yep. that it's just so ingrained that. 
they just see it the way that we just see, um, you know, skin shades and stuff mm-hmm. here. So it's very interesting. But I would think that I would think that there's a bit of the um, darker tone people are going because they're going to be working the fields, so they're going to get more of a suntan. And be darker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that that's it. But that would be something that I would need. I don't. I'm ignorant on that. Like I to speak on it. You know what I mean? I'm sure that it's part of it because it's how like they're also it's India and they were colonized by the British. So like the British didn't also import their cast of skin color into the uh, the cast that had predated them, you know? It was just probably just a clusterfuck of cast. <laughs> um, I thought it was interesting in this how it's about music and the music of the times, like the 40s, you know, that that's before rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Big band. Yeah, and so, but they, what did the kids want? The kids wanted that boogie-woogie. Where did that sound come from? Not anyone depicted in the movie. Nope. Um, and so then I looked at, I was like, oh, wait, Brooklyn? In 1950, according to the census, 92 Brooklyn was 92% white and mm-hmm. 7.61% black. And then I looked at a Smithsonian video that was about the style of boogie-woogie, and it's a style of blues for the piano. It was popular, became big-time popular in the 20th century, Jelly Roll Morton, who I randomly have gotten into, he was from New Orleans. Uh, he was one of the big time people. There were other people involved in in the sound because Jelly Roll Morton combined um, jazz and the European music and stuff, and kind of came up with this like ragtime that then kind of evolved into the boogie woogie, and that sound migrated from the South. And this time, due to the Great Migration, because 47, this was during the Great Migration. Uh, And in 1938, John Hammond produced a show at Carnegie Hall called Spirituals to Swing. And that really was like, oh, my gosh, because you hear Boogie Woogie and you can't not Boogie Woogie. It's right there. It's like all y'all going, whoo, like that's over. It's done with. The kids want to dance. Mm-hmm. And one of but the I best... don't have to even with boogie. Mm-hmm. But you still pref- you still like the boogie. You still oh like yeah, the... I like it. Yeah, it's just, nothing's gonna make me get up uh, on no. my feet. No, but you'll <laughs> tap your toe. I might not not in two not in time, but I will. Well, you yeah you but you'll dance like in your mind you're dancing like no one's watching. Um, Mead, Lux, Lewis, and Albert Ammons are some of the best boogie-woogie piano players out there. So if you want to listen to some bona fide boogie-woogie, you can get that on Spotify because according to this movie, just white people could play boogie-woogie. So those that's cast. You do such a good job with cast. I mean, it's, it's this country. <laughs> But it does it for me. And for some reason, Christine and I don't quite pick it up as quickly as you do. But you listen and learn. We do. We learn. So we're to nerd alerts, and I do have one. Mm-hmm. Um, when 
Danny, and he was Danny in Ocean's Eleven too. Danny he was. Um, when he comes home, he's thinking it's going to be easy peasy to get an apartment in Brooklyn. But even when they were coming back in 47, it was, you could not get an apartment in Brooklyn. Very tight. Change. Yeah, exactly. It, only thing that's changed is the rent. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we had friends over last night and of them just moved. She was just like, like don't ever move. Just too much. Yeah. It's too much work to find the places. Yeah. I agree. Boy. Oh, I did a. Oh, go ahead. But, but yeah, well, even finding a place is too much work. She was saying, like, the bidding wars. Mm -hmm. I could just bid on an apartment, like, it's for rent. Yes. That's crazy, but yeah. that's that's where we are now. Yes. And it's it's really interesting if you look at like tying in crime and statistics and all of these things that inflation and how it a lot of it ties in heavily with affordable housing. Mm -hmm. You know, when you when uh, you I saw a statistic that I don't know how true it is, but but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it out anyway. Uh, that there's more Airbnb apartments for rent in New York City right now. It was like a month ago. Wow. Well, I believe that because people who have money and means, there's a lot of like ghost apartments and stuff, yeah. stuff and they buy them. And then that becomes passive income for them to achieve more yep. money. They just rent it out. So yeah. they were talking about a solution to that, which... I think it should be if you don't have, if you don't have a tenant, you get tax higher or there's a fee. Oh, Ooh, good one. Put me in charge, charge. Yeah, I agree. Mitch ain't going to let it happen. And then they were talking about affordable health. I don't know what I was listening to you, but all they're coming to mind, to mind. And public area. New York City housing would, would if it you do just look all the people that lived in like housing I don't know the proper word word for it uh, oh, like, a housing, like subsidized like based on income mm -hmm. oh yeah I, I know affordable, you're talking about. Uh, yeah. It would be, it would still be one of the top. If you just took, took the people, the amount of people that live in that in New York City, it would still be one of the biggest, biggest cities. Those, those people make up the equivalent of like like one of the top cities in the, in the country. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And yeah, yeah. it is awful. Yeah, it, it is. It's crazy because people then want to go like I, I believe in capitalism, but I, the thing about capitalism is that it, you let the market decide, but people have manipulated the markets. Exactly. So that it's, it's not working, and you, you need to like bring it back and have a mix, just like all social, like 100% socialism doesn't work. Like right. there has to be a mix of some things that. We're not like profits aren't going to be the goal of this. You know, we're going to this is going to be a service. And that's what that is. And and 
when people like look at it because they always look to these northern european countries and that's what they have they have a mix of capitalism and mm-hmm. socialism i know and there was a guy in the village i think and he lives in a thing and it's rent controlled and he, he was saying he's the only only tenant building there's only three or like everyone all the other apartments are vacant because something to do with, with they don't want it they can't they're not allowed oh oh there's this law okay there's this law that is like maybe it's gonna happen maybe not they think they think they're gonna, gonna mention and something about changing rent control rules so like right now if they were to rent the apartment out they would rent it to somebody at this like low rent control, whatever the price is on it. Like if it's like like seven hundred dollars for an apartment in the East Village, and then six six months from now, law gets changed. Now you've got uh, somebody who could potentially stay there their entire life, and you could you could averaging. I just just saw a stat that the average rent in New York City is four thousand dollars now. Dang. So like, yeah. In like Manhattan, I guess, but yeah. So, um, I did my nerd alert on living in Brooklyn and and trying to find a place to live. Other nerd alerts. I did one, Mm -hmm. but my notes are, um, in a place that I can't click on. (laughs) So we're going to have to wait until my mouse charges and then I can click on it because, um, Anybody who owns an Apple computer, it's the dumbest design on the face of the planet. Why would you make a chargeable mouse that you can't use while it's charging? Well, yeah. now that is that. Yeah, bro, you, you you got there's a there there's a lot of things. We're uh, this is a technical difficulty filled podcast. Exactly, and it it's what you get with Gone with the Bushes. You never know where we're gonna go together. You've listened to podcasts enough where they've had technical difficulties. Exactly. Even the big people. You know. Yeah. So I will vamp and tell everybody what happened in 1947. Please do. I wasn't even born yet. Shocked. Shocking. You were? So this is two years after World War II. So that was a ended. big thing. Ended, yes. Yeah, so that's still very fresh in people's minds. Yes, it is. I think of us in the old uh, pandy. So the Canadian Citizenship Act, which gave legal status of Canadians separate from, separate and independent from British subjects. 1947. Oh, wow. Wait, was, what? What, what, I'm sorry. I, I Prior to 1947, there wasn't a thing, such a thing as Canadian citizenship. It was still tied into like the Queen and stuff. Right. Okay. Okay. And then in 1947, there was the Canadian Citizenship Act, which what granted a legal status of Canadians separate and independent as from British subjects. Wow. So prior to 1947, they were British subjects. The alls of them. Man, that's a long time. Yes. <laughs> wow. wow. We have Elizabeth Short, a.k.a. the Black Dahlia, was found murdered. The 
big in true crime. Yeah, very big. And to this oh. day, still wild and like, what? Oh my gosh, this mm-hmm. is disgusting and gruesome. Very. 1947, you're so cringe. We have Percival Pratis, who became the first African-American news correspondent allowed in the U.S. House and Senate press gallery. Oh, we've had that before. Because we did Lord. That was also in 1947. Percival, yeah. John C. Hennessy, Jr., Bought a 1946 Volkswagen Beetle from a PX in Frankfurt, Germany, where he was serving in the army and had it shipped to New York. And in 1947, that's when the first Volkswagen Beetle arrived on U.S. soil. And he could buy it at the PX? At the Post Exchange. Oh, my God. That's hysterical. The Truman Doctrine pretty much ushered in the Cold War. It was like, we we must stop this communist scourge from taking over the country. And on April 1st, Jackie Robinson signed his deal. And then on April 15th, Jackie Robinson reintegrates baseball, playing for the Brooklyn Trolley Dodgers. Ah. Now, there's so many times where I was looking up like stuff that happened in 1947 and they were like, Jackie Robinson becomes the first player. But it's just like, guys, guys, come on. Moses Fleetwood Walker, remember, he was the first black person to play in the major leagues in 1884. Ellipses that we know of. You know right. there were other black people who were like, right. I'm Italian. <laughs> I'm from Sicily. <laughs> no, okay. no, I'm Cuban. Um, the top five films were uh, Forever Amber. Number four was Life with Father. Number three was Unconquered. Number two was The Egg and I. And number one was Welcome Stranger. Huh. I copied and pasted that from, from Lord's notes. So hope I got that one right. <laughs> the Oscars were... Best Picture nominees, Miracle on 34th Street, Great Expectations, Crossfire, The Bishop's Wife, and then Best Film of 1947 was Gentleman's Agreement. Those are my nerd alerts. Oh. I found my notes on my phone. Mm. Good. So I can do my nerd alert. Please. It's about the Brooklyn Bridge history. Um, so... The Brooklyn Bridge connects Brooklyn and Manhattan. Go figure. Um, And it took 14 years to build and cost $15 million. And the article that I read was on history.com. And it was just updated in May of this year. And it said that that would be more than $320 million today. Yeah. Um, That's a lot of money. But it would still, I feel, for an infrastructure project, be a bargain today. <laughs> At even that. Yeah, time. I was like, I thought that stuff would be in the billions, but mm-hmm. what do I know? Um, two dozen people died in the process, including its designer. Oh my gosh! He was, yeah, the uh, John Augustus Roebling. He was a pioneer of 
um, suspension bridges, specifically steel, steel suspension bridges. Oh, okay. so this is the first ever steel suspension bridge, I think. And uh, it has the longest, it had at the time the longest span in the world, 1600 feet from tower to tower. And just before construction began, he was fatally injured during had some final compass readings. A boat smashed his toes, it smashed the toes on his feet, and he died of um, tetanus three weeks later. Oh my oh gosh, from oh toes! It smashed yeah. and killed him! OSHA! 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 I know! Get your tetanus, I mean, were tetanus shots? What year was this? Being? I want, yeah. Well, that would be the very first paragraph of an article. I feel like this is the reason why we all know about tetanus shots is that some ma was like, the guy who made the Brooklyn Bridge died from tetanus. Get your tetanus shot. Oh, that was in 1869. So there might not have been tetanus shots then. Oh. Um, oh. But his 32-year-old son, Washington Roebling, took over as chief engineer. He'd worked on several bridges with his father and helped with the design. Um. So the way they made it was, I thought, interesting because I always wonder how they make bridges and tunnels. Like you're working. Mm -hmm. I still don't understand. Still don't understand either. So to achieve a solid foundation for the work for the bridge, workers excavated the riverbed in massive wooden boxes called casons. C A I S S O N S. Casons. Casons. Yeah. These airtight chambers were pinned to the river's floor by enormous granite blocks pressurized air was pumped in to keep water out and debris. Workers known as sand hogs, many of them immigrants earning about $2 a day, uh, used shovels and dynamite to clear away the mud and boulders at the bottom of the river. Each week, the casings inched closer to the bedrock. When they reached a sufficient depth, 44 feet on the Brooklyn side and 78 feet on the Manhattan side, they began backfilling the casing with poured concrete and brick piers, working their way back up to the surface. Still doesn't make much sense, but that's how they did it. Um, underwater, the workers in the casing were uncomfortable. The hot, dense air gave them blinding headaches, itchy skin, bloody noses, and slowed heartbeats. But relatively safe, it says. They were uncomfortable, <laughs> but relatively safe. Um, the journey to and from the depth of the East River could be deadly. To get down to the casings, the sand hogs rode in small iron containers called airlocks. As the airlock descended into the river, it filled with compressed air, which made it possible to breathe in the casein and kept the water from seeping in, but it also dissolved a dangerous amount of gas into the workers' bloodstreams. When the workers resurfaced, they, they dissolved gases in their blood were quickly released. Um, is, the is, is that like the bends? I guess it's, I guess it's kind of, but I guess it's maybe a little bit different because like the bends, I think, oh, wait, when you yeah. go down. Oh. This often caused a constellation of painful system known as casein disease or the bend. Excruciating oh. joint pain, paralysis, convulsions, numbness, speech impediments, and in some cases, death. More than 100 workers suffered from the disease, including Washington Roebling himself, who remained partially paralyzed for the rest of his life. He was forced to watch with a telescope while his wife, Emily, took care of the bridge's construction. Go, Emily. Go, Emily. 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 Um, 
Over the years, the bends cleaned the lives of several sand hogs while others died as a result of more conventional construction accidents, collapses, fires, and explosions. So this bridge, the creator died, gave it to his son, and then he got paralyzed from it. Damn. Um, so by the early 20th century, scientists had figured out that if airlocks traveled to the river's surface more gradually, slowing the decompression, the bends could be prevented all together. Oh. And in 1909, New York's legislature passed the nation's first case and safety laws to protect sand hogs digging railway tunnels under the Hudson and East River. See, I, that makes no sense to me. What, what part? The, the tunnels under the under water. How do you keep the water oh, yeah. out? Well, the well, tunnels. They would, they, they would build and ex do explosions and stuff. It just boggles my mind. Yeah. I, well, I, think, mm -hmm. I just think about like bridges every time we go over the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Oh. Just how they. I they try not to think that. about it as we're going over the Chesapeake. And the Bay only Bridge. reason I know about the Benz is because that's my second favorite Radiohead album. And I was like, what is the Benz? And I remember looking it up way back when. Um, the bridge opened May 24th, 1883. Wow. It's birthday. Uh, connecting New York and Brooklyn for the first time in history. Thousands of residents of Brooklyn and Manhattan turned out to witness the dedication ceremony, of course. Um, Emily Roebling was given the first ride over the completed bridge. As she should have been. Good. With a rooster, a symbol of victory, in her lap. <laughs> Within 24 hours, more than 150,000 people walked across the Brooklyn Bridge using a promenade above the roadway that John Roebling designed solely for the enjoyment of pedestrians. Um, it was, with its unprecedented length and two stately towers, the bridge was dubbed the eighth wonder of the world. For seven years after its construction, it remained the tallest structure in the Western Hemisphere. Wow. Uh -huh. The connection it provided between the massive population centers of Brooklyn and Manhattan changed the course of New York City forever. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just, one fun fact. Well, it currently carries 150,000 vehicles and pedestrians each day, which is also the amount that went over in the first 24 hours. Interesting. Wow. And on May 21st, 1884, so that was about a year after it opened. P.T. Barnum led 21 elephants over the bridge to prove it was stable. That, that P.T. Barnum. <laughs> Look at him. But, yeah. uh, Had nothing to do with advertising for his circus. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, making it like, oh, the people are scared to go over the bridge. They're like, meanwhile, we've been going across this. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know a lot of that. I thought it being the tallest structure in the Western Hemisphere. That's yeah, really. <laughs> I remember when Miranda on Sex in the City moved to Brooklyn, and that was such a huge deal because she was leaving Manhattan. Yeah. Um, well, and now they just opened last year a Brooklyn Bridge bike lane. Oh, just last year? Well, you could already bike across it, oh, but sure. it was shared with pedestrians. Mm. So uh, they just 
created a lane just for bike. I mean, it was so annoying to bike with the pedestrians. I'm sure. Um, and unsafe. Yeah. So 2021, they dedicated a lane just for cycling. Well done, Brooklyn. Well done, Brooklyn. Well done, Taney. I prefer that bridge because it's not as hilly. Mm-hmm. Because there, there are other bridges. There's the Williamsburg Bridge and the Manhattan Bridge. Ah, okay. Isn't there some Finitasio Bridge? Finis Finasio. I've no idea what word you're saying. <laughs> the Verrazano Bridge. Yes. I just know there's a bunch of bridges. I just that's a thing when you just look at maps. You don't read I my brain doesn't retain yeah. locations, so I'm just like there's it's in the vicinity. The vicinity bridge. Arizona bridge takes you to Staten Island. Ah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Queens Bridge. The Queensboro Bridge is also a bridge. Are we just naming bridges now? <laughs> I guess so. Name your bridges. Come on. Washington Bridge. That one has. Um, I ran across that bridge. Was that connects New Jersey to oh. Manhattan? Oh. There's a bunch of signs about not killing yourself. Yeah, that's, that's a big problem. Bridges. Yep. Big problem with bridges. They put nets on the bottom in a lot of places. I think like Golden Gate Bridge. They got nets on the bottom. Could you imagine? Uh, okay. Well, moving on. Erin, nerd alerts. I finished all my nerd alerts. I remember that. So now we are to reheatables hmm? negatives. Hmm? Um, that's uh, that yo. I wrote that Johann Sebastian Bach song that cut in that called him Papa Sebastian Bach. That that was kind of creepy to me. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the songs. Just do row, row, row your boat. Yeah, yeah, I just didn't like any of the songs because you're supposed to be musical. I like musicals now. I know. That's what I was saying with the like, the bona fides of the people behind who created the music. And then I listened to it. I'm like, these are all just like. But Time After Time was a huge song. It was a huge song. I like Time After Time. Okay. Okay. For you, um, I'll, have, I'll have to see if Dinah Washington did a cover version or Ella Fitzgerald. <laughs> and then I just wrote something that doesn't. <laughs> I wrote, Where'd they find an all white school in Brooklyn? But then I just <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the all white school in Brooklyn tracks for 1940s. Yeah, it does. I thought the same thing. P.S. All white. Well, uh, it, it's interesting when you think about it because we make this joke, but then you think about 1947 and then think right. about like the suburbs being with Levittown and that was Long Island. And that kind of tells the story of when you look at the white flight, people going out to Long Island mm -hmm. and suburbs becoming a thing. And you look in the census and you'll see the, the uh, black population in Brooklyn increases as the Long Island population increases, and there you have what is known as white flight. White flight. I have the police putting a strange man into a, a woman's car. What? 
the caucasity. The caucasity. The, there needs to be some some version of the caucasity that puts in like male, you know, like because that's also it's yes. the caucasity, but it's also the like the maleness of that. Like the cop is a man, and you just I would be scared that's to death. Masculinity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Toxic masculinity strikes again. And then you have to, first of all, re-register for the draft after you've already been drafted and been over there and done your stuff. But you have to re-register in an elementary school? It was a high school. Was it a high school? Yeah. Okay, that makes it okay. All these men coming from, you know, war, because there's no trauma with war, and they just go into a school to re-register? You know what's wild is that it's the three of us, so we don't know this, but I'm pretty sure that my brother and like definitely my dad, but like, because it's still to this day, if you're a man and you're 18, you have to register for the selective service. How do they just register automatically? Like, that just seems like a pain. I don't know, but that's what I I didn't get to ask my brother about it, but it because I was reading about the draft and how they they went and they like they don't have the draft like how they had it in in Vietnam and stuff. We have an all volunteer service, but when to this day, like you know, you turn eighteen, you still have to like men still have to register. I don't remember Adam registering. Did I just block that out of my brain? Like some like the selective service something. Yeah, you probably did. Yeah, because they they all like all in order to vote, you had to be able to you had to do that too. And there's things of like, have you registered? But it's it that's one of those things where. And I remember when I was watching things about the ERA, like the Equal Rights Amendment, Mm -hmm. how that was one of the things that people were like, "Oh, your daughters are gonna have to register for the draft." But that's one of those things where I'm like. Where I was reading it, I was like, oh, I don't have to do that. But that's one of those things like, all right, well, when we get to the part where we're equal, like, yeah, I'm willing yeah. to to have to make that. But <laughs> until we get, like, we got some work to do <laughs> until it's, uh, but yeah, I will do it. But we got some, we got some work to do here. Hello, Israel. Yeah, I mean, they, but also, like, we would have, like, like we are so badass women, so. Yeah. If, if you want some smoke. <laughs> um, Preachy Danny. I felt like he was so preachy with the girl. Uh, and then she became kind of preachy herself, but. Yeah. Um, okay, so those are my negatives that I brought up. Others? Teeny? I did mine. Um, I have just a piggyback on that, just allowing strangers to come and go at a local high school. Just that just doesn't happen yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's not do that anymore. But to this day at Hayfield Elementary School, it is a polling center. There if it yeah. is but it's yeah, not but in a school. It's in the school, and yeah, it, it, there no school that day, though. Only for a presidential election. If it oh. is your primaries, um, if it is, um, you know, governor, and it's not during a presidential year, yeah, they come in and vote. They go into the library and vote. Then there are kids in the school. 
I wonder um, if that's on the if that's going to be something that gets looked at because it should it should be it should have been a long time ago looked at. I remember in the seventies in Texas, I voted in a in a firehouse. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Not a school. Well, I just voted in a primary last week in the comfort of my home where I, I had my sample ballot and I could go on and, and do my due diligence and all of my homework and fill that in and then fill out my ballot and then mail it off and then go and drive it and go to a place and just stick it in an envelope. But there and are those who want to get rid of that ability. I know, but that... That it was, it was fantastic and it was yes. awesome. And it, I had to sign for, I had to legally sign for it. And they have to go through. And I got an email saying that my ballot had been counted because it goes on the records and the address that you print on there has to match the address for that, has to match all of right. that. And yeah, it was extremely easy to vote. And that only is makes what sense. it should be. But yeah, get, hey, you know, I'm brown. So. Guess they they coming they coming for me. I wonder if during COVID they still have yeah during COVID we went yeah you can like like that's they started in COVID like in California they just mailed everybody the ballot and you could go there were like the polling places and stuff were physically open but it's just so much easier they sent they they in California if you're registered to vote I think they really do a good job of sending you, I mean, you get so much bullshit of, you know, from all of the different candidates, but they do a good job of like, here's the sample ballot. It looks exactly like your ballot. They keep sending you information. Then they send you like the real ballot. Before I got the real ballot, I got an email saying that my real ballot was coming mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. and then you're able to do all that. And then it's on you to go and look up everything and look up who you want and, so if if you put a little bit of time in it but you also have to put a little bit of time in and a lot of people don't have that time. Sad cuz it's the primaries and that's why we get that's why yes. you get to the general election you're like, "Wait, I have to choose between this yes. person and this person and it's because the nutcases are the ones who are like taking the time to vote in the primary." So that's why I had to like you know, carve out a half a day to, to figure yeah. out stuff out. If you care that the only way to identify one of those children was by her green high top sneakers, then you better get out there and fucking vote. Yeah, I think that's what you have to do. You have to, and you ha- and there, are, you have to ask yourself tough questions, and you have to like, yeah, it's it's a whole rigmarole. All right, next, how old was Danny? Because how old is he supposed to be? Because in real life, Sinatra was about 32. But Whoa. And he looked it. I was like, yeah, he did. He did not look young. No, oh. just skinny. Or like 20. I shouldn't say young. I was thinking about it, though, because it seemed the movie would have me believe that, okay, he was 18, then he goes into the war. I believe mm-hmm. he was away at war for four years. Mm-hmm. So that would put him in his early 20s. Yes. Um, yes. but yeah, Sinatra was 32 and looked it. Nick lives under the high school. Yeah. Just the yeah. janitor. Just yeah. Lives the under custodian. The, high um, the custodial engineer. Yes. 
Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so this this was one of those. Uh, it starts off as a bad reheatable, but then as the movie goes, it becomes a good reheatable. And that was the kid that broke into the gym to exercise. Yeah. First of all, those kids' shoulders. I was like, that kid looks like he's ripped anyway. Like, <laughs> and then I looked. I was like, oh, he broke in to the gym to exercise in those shoes? What are those? And then it becomes a good reheatable because I go, oh, they're tap shoes. And then also, like, he's doing all these crazy stunts and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that kid looks pretty ripped already. I Who was he smaller than? He's such a better athlete than any of his friends. Uh, Danny's nightshirt, LOL. Agreed. Well, I think because he came back, he didn't even like have a suitcase, right? He he had to go to a thrift store to buy a suit. And Jimmy Durante gave him a shirt that was way too big. And Mm -hmm. so I guess it was a Jimmy Durante night shirt. That's what I was thinking. Yes, but I was just like... For, for somebody who, a time period where men were concerned about being men, I just think it's funny that they wore nightshirts. <laughs> they made a nightshirt. Okay. Huh, you, you know I couldn't, I couldn't not bring it up. But uh, that song asking what did Bing Cros- what did Crosby and Jolson have in common? My answer to that question was, I hear Crosby. Jolson. I'm like, blackface? <laughs> that's the, that's what they have in common. Blackface. Well, there is that. Come to find out from this song, apparently it was heart. It was oh. heart that they had in common. Because they sang from the heart. So uh-huh. I I understand. So I'm like, all right, Aaron. You know, it was the times. That, those were the times. That's what they did in the times. <laughs> so that means that they did that in the times. But also in those times, they sang with all their heart in blackface. Both can be true. Look at that. Just, just all they put all their heart into singing in blackface because <laughs> it was the times. Oh, okay, Peter Lawford's character of Jamie, the creepy look on his face when he wants to know how she looked as a little girl. Yeah. It was so creepy. I wrote it down. And then my next negative reheatable is later. He, this man has the, he says, he says later, he says about her hands and her perfume are just like a little girl. Yeah. Oh, God. And that was turning him on. So clean and soapy. Ew. This man had, y'all, there's a reason why my man, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just saying. He, had, he couldn't he, relate to people his age. He had a, a thing with little girls that it's, okay. Then we have the stalker ending where Danny realizes that he's in love with the nurse and then he's like, I'm going to find her, which leads into my my next negative reheatable. Oh, I guess it doesn't. Oh, no, there's a there's a positive. OK, so just a stalker ending. That was just like, OK, great. Now he's on a mission to stalk this woman. That'll go great. Um, 
But then Danny's opinion that Anne's voice is cold because she doesn't like being a teacher. <laughs> yeah. It's like your voice is cold because you don't like being a teacher. And then he's like, who doesn't like being a teacher? Ask the guy who isn't a teacher. If you're not a teacher, you don't get to ask why somebody who's a teacher doesn't like being a teacher. Because I'm not a teacher, and I know why I'm not a teacher. So I don't <laughs> ask a teacher. <laughs> if a teacher was like, I don't really like being a teacher, I don't, I'm not like, oh, my God, that you are such a cold-hearted bitch because you don't like teaching children. I was just like, wow, buddy, wow. And there are so many teachers out there who do not like being a teacher. And they inflict that on their students every year. And I think that there are, some, there are a lot of teachers who love being a teacher, as in they love teaching children, but they don't love being a teacher, as right. in dealing with all the other bullshit. Exactly. Leave me alone with the kids. Uh, yeah, with the door closed and locked. With their with their it's their hands that are so clean and soapy. Leave me alone with them. Oh my god, yes. Okay. So we are to positive reheatables and a whole song about the Brooklyn Bridge. Now this song wasn't great, but it was about the Brooklyn Bridge. And it, yeah, and it was on the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. yeah. That was my positive. Yeah, I have two positives. One is Brooklyn. Two is the Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> yeah. One of mine is no one can take a bad picture of the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh. Like, I, I have that example, you know, from the, like the tower when you're right there. And you mm -hmm. just take the picture. Like everybody. And you can't make a bad photo. Everybody's like, you just print that out, hang it up on your wall. It's beautiful. It's art. You, you can't mess the, that up. The, Brook, the New York City Half Marathon, you run across the Brooklyn Bridge. Wow. They close, well, it, down. They close it down and you run in the street. Oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, the people who run that, yes, that's great for them. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I have... I feel like I just look like... What? You don't really... It's more of a hill than you think. Because mm -hmm. uh -huh. it goes up. Because the one. And then when I was listening, when I was reading those facts about it, it was like it only had to do 44 feet in Manhattan, in the Brooklyn side, and 78 feet in Manhattan for something. So, yeah. Mm hmm. Because the different, how the, the land masses and where it is, all that engineering. I walked it when I did in. It had to be in 2000 because the towers were still a thing. I took a yeah. trip to New York and I did what we called urban hiking and walked all along, like down Manhattan. Like we pretty much walked from Harlem all the way down to Manhattan over the Brooklyn Bridge back. We made, we walked so, my feet were bruised when I got back home to yeah. Philadelphia that day. We just urban hiked over everywhere. It was hilarious and fun and awesome. So my positive reheatables. Okay, so they're at the victory party, right? They're in England. Yeah. They just yeah. won the war. They made it, you know. They're they're going home. 
the the nightmare is over. There's people sure. dancing, and then there's the herb room of the victory party, where it's the nerds who are just listening to the yeah. guy play the classical piano. Yeah, I thought that was great because you you have a, a room for everybody. Not everybody exactly. wants to dance. Some people just yeah. want to sit and be like, "Oh my god, I made it. Let me just listen to some classical music." Yeah. What the fuck? Or let me be in a less crowded space. Yeah. Um, there's a variety review, and it, it's on the Wikipedia page. Let me see if I can do this justice, because it cracked me up. It, it's from it, I looked it up in variety, and it just said group or staff. So I don't have a specific name to attribute this to. But, quote, much of the lore will result from Frank Sinatra's presence in the cast. Guys acquired the Bean Crosby knack of nonchalance, throwing away his gag lines with flying aplomb. He kids himself in a couple of hilarious sequences and often does a take on Jimmy Durante, with Durante aiding him. That's Sakaroo! <laughs> I mean... That was good. This guy, he just, he loved it. My next is the, the like, the, as the movie's progressing, I'm like, wait, Frank Sinatra is not going to get the girl? And then it's like, oh, no. Frank gets Gloria Graham. Yeah. And then I just laughed. <laughs> like, <laughs> of course. Um, and I already mentioned how nobody can take a bad picture of the Brooklyn Bridge. It's just, it's too iconic and scenic. You, you can't. Beautiful. 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 Uh, quotes. I have a lot of quotes. I'll bet you do, because there's a lot about Brooklyn. Go, Teeny. I'm sorry the fireworks are starting. That's not a quote. That's my quote. Yeah, Even I know. It's that season. Um, okay. That's the Brooklyn Bridge. Sh sure, that's my pinup girl. Ain't she a beauty? That's a bad quote. But it was good for the movie, because they had the pinups... It would yeah. always be Rita Hayworth, and right. his was a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. yeah. So, a Brooklyn yeah. guy is a friendly guy. <laughs> I have that. Yeah, I have that one. Um, and you're glad to be in Brooklyn when you could be over there in New York. New York, that's a place to look at. That's a place to look at Brooklyn from. Yeah. <laughs> Because when um, we go uh, up, we spend time in Brooklyn, not New York. Yeah. I don't know the last time I've been in Manhattan. Mm. Um, you know, life here in Brooklyn's pretty fast, and I imagine I'll be all caught up on the social world thing. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I'm bombing these quotes. This is why I wrote this. <laughs> he moved to Brooklyn, and he's like, you know, life in life here in Brooklyn is pretty fast, and I imagine I'll be all caught up in the social world thing. And so that was me and Mar Adam. Adam and I, March 1st, 2020, when we moved to Brooklyn from yes. Jersey City, we were like, ooh, we're going to have all of our friends here. We're going to have so much to do. And then the pandemic hit. You then thought? The pandemic hit, yeah. Um. You know, you should get over those ideas you have about Brooklyn. No one's friendly here. Everything is horrible. <laughs> oh. Both that and a Brooklyn guy and a friendly guy can be true. 
Yeah. Um, I just thought this was funny when he said, gee, so much is happening to me today. <laughs> and then this should be in my negatives. A chit, or as they was known in my youth, a sweet patootie. A sweet patootie. That was mine. I have, it's only in Brooklyn that people are as friendly as that. Hmm. How can anyone hate teaching kids? <laughs> I knew you were going to have that. <laughs> Jimmy Durante, I underslept. I like that. I love that. It doesn't yep. happen frequently. Um, we got a tree in Brooklyn, but we can't see the movie. Uh, okay, those were mine. I like that was one of my favorites, Bob, because it's it, Jimmy Durante had a lot of great just uh, visual just gags and like like Buster Keaton kind of comedy mm -hmm. like waka waka gags, and that did make me laugh out loud when he's sleeping and it's the middle of the night and Danny comes and wakes him up and he pulls out his pocket watch and he looks at it and he just goes, oh, I underslept. <laughs> that. Except it's a great up. line. Yeah, I um, I did. I also had a Brooklyn guy as a friendly guy. <laughs> this is cracking me up. I like like Brooklyn people do have. You take them out of Brooklyn, they like you. You find yeah. I I see it. I understand the the friendly guyism. Right, can talk to anybody. Yeah, and then this is, was one of my favorites because it's just it's in the it's in the line with just the, the those exclamations. Ah, my mind goes blank, but when he says it, heavens to Betsy, yeah. just those old timey not yeah. cussing, but like like heavens to Betsy is a great old timey. Let's bring it back. Let's let's bring. Let's bring Heavens to Betsy back. I think okay. It's, that I think on TikTok, it's it's ready to come back. Heavens you're a peach. You're, yeah, you're a peach. Like, you're a peach. Heavens to Betsy. Mm -hmm. Time for the Heavens to Betsy renaissance. Those are okay. mine. Okay, uh, LVPs. So, I, ha I have two. Okay. Um, okay, the whole opera number... It so wasn't what? in my wheelhouse. It just wasn't. And then Anne's brown face. Yeah, the opera. It the opera. Was, oh. Yeah, the whole opera. I did fast forward through the opera singingness. I would go to an opera to experience it, but while I'm watching it, it is not my cup of tea the because of how high the voice is and i've never been one but then i do enjoy a nice falsetto but the opera is higher than a falsetto and it gets into almost screechy yeah kind of shrill territory yeah. for me yeah. um so i would be open to experience it because i know of the it's such talent like you have to be so talented oh to my god yeah that with your voice yeah. But it isn't, I don't find the joy of that compared to listening to Ella Fitzgerald or Dinah Washington or right. Aretha Franklin, you know? Which, and it's a, it's a, um, it's like a, um, 
something that that you nurture. We had a friend in Germany when you were little whose sister-in-law was in the opera and she was very into opera. It would be like, uh, I went to see Hamilton and I went with a woman who has um, some eye issues and some hearing issues. So we were like third row center. We were really close, but um, she said she couldn't understand it. And my thing was, why didn't you do research before you came to know what those songs were going to be about? You know, when um, David Diggs is going so fast with that rap and you, if you've heard it a couple times, you can follow it. So, so if I went to an opera, I would want to do research ahead of time to know mm. what was going on because the costumes and the settings are just like magnificent. So, so that, you know, the trimmings are beautiful, but I'm, that singing is not my um, choice. Yes. And it also feels a bit, it's not cast, but I guess maybe it's like class. Yeah. Because it, because the operas are in, usually in what, Italian? Like, I don't know. Well, they could be know. Italian, they, they can be German. Yeah, it's like different languages. So it's a, it's a different language, which, okay, but, you know, I'm American. So, you know, that's already, you got to strike against it. I'm sorry. That's just the truth of the matter. So I would have to, I would have to overcome that. And then... Yeah, I guess I would have to to learn about it, but it is no what what the fuck was going on, and that's yeah. Yeah, opera originated in fifteen ninety eight. Yeah, it's like it's old timey. Yeah, yeah. I have a I don't know if you know this about me. I have a minor in music history, and they I took a class about I was like from from Chapel Hill, no less. So. I mean, people pay attention. God, I can't remember the name of the class, but it was like ancient music class. Like it was like we it's hard. It was like music in the 1500s and stuff, and it was like the history of it. It was hard, but it was like interesting. I'll bet. That's my story on that. It's just I could. I was trying to remember the year that it came about. It's old. Yeah, that's why I like I like it because I I don't know I just think it's cool that it's still around and you have to be mm -hmm. really talented to do it. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's it's just not to my yeah pop sensibility. So it is that thing where I'm like, wow, it's in like her voice was I uh, like it's incredible, but yeah. I'm to me though I'm like. Eh. But that's what I would like the kids in the in the show, you know, where he played that slow song and they're like looking at him and they're like just not moved. And they're like, yeah, but can you play this? And it's the boom, 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 right, boom, boom. Right. And I'm like, yeah, like you had to get you had to have opera and go and through this. Mm -hmm. And this is the evolution. And so I'm like paying homage to it. But I'm like, yeah, but when they put the beat behind it. That's when it really kicked in. <laughs> but I really do feel so classist as, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't in the class where I grew up with that. So that was not something that, that I had heard and had the interest in uh, pursuing, you know, 
because I was in a lower class. And it's one of those things where you have like Marion Anderson and when um, Mm -hmm. there's that famous thing where Aretha Franklin fills in for I think one of the three tenors or something. It does the just like like, oh yeah, by the way, I can just sing opera. That then you're like, oh wow. But it, 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 like it takes that for me to then like be able to understand it but i'm still like i i would be more inclined to put on aretha franklin singing an opera song because i'm like okay i i like her voice but i like her voice when it's singing the blues and the and yeah so it is an interesting like class and cast thing juxtaposition yeah like the juxtaposition and then to see what turns out people like something that you can tap your feet to and that's why like we got the popular music and and stuff it's like but how cool was that that she could go oh wait excuse me there's a i can fix that problem yeah i i I, I can do this yeah for you no problem and marion anderson i also did not come from um opera class but you came from what but you had a strong music yeah just i'm just throwing it out there no yeah okay okay so we're to mvp no i didn't i didn't do my lvp Dini, did you do yours do yours there is one scene this i just wrote this creepy bitch's face i don't know was the scene that was her like face was like they kept zooming, zooming in or something, or like she was doing some crazy. I don't even. I don't know. I zoned out for a bit of this movie. Um, I can't. I don't. I couldn't even tell you what was happening in the scene. Was it Anne? Was it the female lead? Probably. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and her like being attracted to Peter Lawford and not who she was supposed to be attracted to. That. Well, just like a specific scene with my LVP with her. Mm-hmm. But the plot was my LVP. I just didn't like it. The plot. Yeah, it was just really, guys. Yeah, it really was. And so, people, you don't have to watch this one. You're welcome. We watched it for you. Yeah. Because we already touched upon my LVP, and that's the cop who stopped the citizen for a made-up reason, who happened to be a young woman, alone in a convertible, which, in my mind, for some reason, I automatically thought that it was worse that she was in a convertible. Maybe there was no roll bar, so I automatically thought it was more dangerous that she was in a <laughs> convertible somehow. And then tells the strange man to get in her car and the woman, the young woman, to just drive him wherever he needs yeah. to be. By the way, he just got home from war, so <laughs> yeah, there's that. He He's not still- eating that saltpeter anymore, people. He probably still smells like war. I don't know what saltpeter is, but it, my mind don't is want in all different ways of inappropriateness. Is you know I gotta bring the inappropriateness, but it was a real thing. Saltpeter. Uh, um, saltpeter would would lessen your sex drive. Oh. Added to food would lessen your sex drive. <laughs> M- <laughs> MVP. So, I have my MVP, but I have a runner-up, Emily, who took over the construction of the Brooklyn Bridge when everybody else died. Mm-hmm. 
Emily, okay, but my MVP is Jimmy Durante. Just his antics and his comedy, and uh, I enjoyed Jimmy. Jimmy Durante was my honorable mention uh, MVP. Yes, I enjoyed him as well. My honorable mention was Fake It Till You Make It mentality. If you don't have a song to sing or whatever his issue was. Yeah. And then uh, sometimes that's what you have to do in life. Some some people then, refer to that as manifesting. So there you have it. Oh, I've been manifesting wrong. I thought I could just think about it to manifest and get it. That hasn't worked very well. <laughs> uh, and then the piano playing was fine. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, a little dude's tap dancing was pretty freaking good, too. Oh, yeah, he, he was a good tap dancer. Yeah, he was. But, you know, who would have been better? Just throwing this out there. They, uh, although, you know, by this time, they I don't know how old they would have been. But the Nicholas brothers. They would have been, well, like 10, 15 but, years older than when we saw them. But yeah, and Black Don't Crack. So you could have just thrown them in as oh, a yes. kid and just been like, But oh, you know what? I, been, I probably would have been more mad about that. Yeah. In a weird way, because it it would have been like, oh, you're just, you know, throwing a bone. Yeah, throwing a bone. exactly. Yeah. Just... And this film had no bones to throw. Yeah, it was just like you, you already decided what your yeah. take is. Black yeah, people don't exactly. exist in this world. Exactly. Just this, this boogie woogie music came out of ether from Europe that has everybody dancing. It's going to take over the world and there's going to be this guy named Elvis Presley who yeah. becomes the I king chose of rock the and white roll. supremacist movie so <laughs> no you just chose a movie from America in 1947 yes I did I have my honorable mention Jimmy Durante my real MVP though is Gloria Graham she just comes in Doesn't that one she? scene as she just dresses him down, she finds she's like, "Wait, you're from Brooklyn? Cause I'm from Brooklyn, and you're up here not partying." And just her whole and she she like throws out some streets, and he throws them back, and then she's like, "But you know what? You could have read that." And she leaves, and then she turns around, and she's like, "You know what though? If you are from Brooklyn, how dare you? And shame on you, because no Brooklyn man that I know worth his two cents." would be up here and not down there partying. That's right. You should be ashamed of yourself. And just like, and when I watch the scene, I just laugh because it's the way she delivers it is how, if you watch Saturday Night Live or anything of like when they, ah, see, it's that whole like 40s <laughs> kind of thing, how she says it. Cause she just rattles it off. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, this is awesome. And also, they just that she's, she's just shaming him. And he just, I don't know what he did in the war. Yeah, we don't know. I That's don't know. True. That's true. But he was over there and he survived. So maybe he was, you know, in the mail clerk and he didn't see any action. But regardless, I still think it was probably very stressful being in the mail room over no matter what. Yeah. Like, no matter what, there was still stress that the man was under. And and yet she dressed him down. And also because she saw her fair share of stress to being a nurse over there. She was just given tough love. So 
she was just like, how dare you? I know Brooklyn men and you, my friend, are not a not Brooklyn, Brooklyn man. I loved it. It was my favorite part of the film. I feel like her name should have been Trixie. <laughs> I just thought it was hilarious because I'm like, you know what? It's still the Brooklyn vibes because to this day, uh -huh. you go over to Brooklyn and it might not look like her, but just that Brooklyn-ness comes through. That's right. That's what Brooklyn is, baby. Well, I did a recasting this week. Oh, it's been a while. It has. And I did a recasting a la TD and Erin where, um, so my Danny is going to be David Diggs. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. And my Anne is going to be Jasmine Cephas Jones. Oh. To my Nick, uh, no, to my Jamie, who's going to be Anthony Ramos, even though they broke up. They aren't together. But still, that dynamic. And so my Nick, you know, the comic relief is Jonathan Goff. Yes, I did a Hamilton recast. Oh, You're, nice. welcome. You're welcome. You're oh, welcome. I did... So my Danny, I did a gender swap. I thought of that too. So my Danny is Lizzo. Okay. <laughs> you know, so, she'd be a better Danny than Frank Sinatra. I know. I thought she would be great, you know? You know, just has a dream, but it doesn't, is, is kind of unsure of herself and stuff. So yes. And the the person that she meets who also has this thing but is like timid and stuff, um, is Lucas Sinclair, who plays Caleb on Stranger Things. Okay. Because he also dabbles in music. I heard an interview with him on Ebro in the morning, and he he does he dabbles in music, but he's very young, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So that my Jamie who I thought this would be hilarious for this person to play the the music person, but who is mm, uptight and needs to be taught how to how to talk to the, the gentleman and whatnot in a tour de force performance, Cardi B. Oh, my goodness. When it, Car Cardi B is just like this nerd thing. So then my Nick... Who is, you know, the Jimmy Durante. When I came up with this, I laughed for a good three minutes over <laughs> how tickled I was with my Nick, the old guy. And this isn't to say anything about her being old. It's just that I believe her comic genius, like she would just be so good as the Nick type character, Wanda Sykes. Oh, Wanda Sykes can do anything. Yes. Greenlight this movie, people. Yes. Where are you? Yes. Amazon. Yeah. Let's let's make this happen. So there you have it. Christine, I'm gonna just make an assumption here. Okay, so we are ready to taste these. And my taste these, okay. Aaron uh, already said it was a 17-year-old Andre, Andre Previn. Um, he was unseen, and he joined the MGM music department before this movie, and he just 
Now he did actually play the piano. Yeah, you because that it- was him playing the piano, and then they, it was like the audio is him playing the piano, mm-hmm. and then the actors are just kind of moving like yeah, they're playing exactly, the piano. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Danny is in the. Oh yeah, I have a an editorial note about last week's. No, the week before the Deer Hunter, the 8th Infantry Division became the 1st Armored Division, not the... Oh, the 3rd Armor, the 2nd Armor? Yeah. You got the armors wrong? I got the armors. We got the armors wrong, and I was supposed to make a note of that. And um, so, yeah, we got... And we are going to say, yes, we got the armors wrong, and we're going to move on. Because Danny was in the 84th Infantry based on the stuff he wore on his uniform. I expected a lot more tasties than I got. This movie didn't really do well. So it was... There weren't a lot of tasties, yeah. Teeny, did you have any? No. Yeah. So I had that this was Frank Sinatra's third film from MGM who bought him from RKO because Louis B. Mayer was a big fan of Sinatra. And this is kind of when you go through Frank Sinatra's career. He did the movie before this, I believe, was Anchors Away, which was with Catherine Grayson and Gene Kelly. And that was a pretty big hit. And then they followed it up with this. And it didn't do as well. And this is kind of his period of kind of decline where people were like, oh, Frank Sinatra isn't, is he a star? You know, that kind of foolishness that people do. Um, The original. And then some horse heads ended up in some people's beds. Yeah. I apologize. But he, his, I think he goes back to music and then is, that's where he, he could really, sing. Yeah, he could he sing. He kind of focuses more on the singing, and then, then he gets like from here to eternity, and, right? And, like things turn around because he goes right. back to singing. Like, hey, I'm a good singer. Um, I have that the original director, the OG director, was going to be George Sidney, but I guess something happened, and they had to bring in the other guy. Three songs on this charted on the music charts exactly but it's interesting to note that at this time in 1947 the music charts had a separate chart for race music race music yeah okay um i looked up fort dix because he he said that they were going to fort dix so fort dix is named after john adams dix <laughs> like the twelve-year-old in me just always laughs. Like for dicks, John Adams. Dix <laughs> um, instead of CKS. Right, okay. but and I was, you know, this you gotta. What it's? Hey, I grew up in Northern Virginia, so anytime there's any military installation, I'm like, all right, now in the year of twenty after, you know, 2022, I'm like, who's this named after? Right. What motherfucker is this named after? So, John Adams Dix was Secretary of the Treasury, Governor of New York, 
which kind of leads gives away because he was also a major general in the Union Army. Oh, thank you. Union oh, Army during you. the Civil War. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So Fort Dix can remain Fort Dix. There we go. I also looked up Goodbye, Mr. Chips, because Jimmy Durante's character keeps referring to this mm-hmm. Mr. Chips over and over again. It's a movie we're going to have to do. It's a 1939 film starring Robert Donnett and Greer Garson, and it's about a school teacher. And it was nominated for seven Oscars, including Best Picture. Okay. So it's one of those school teacher. Uh, and I believe it's probably in the school teacher canon of films. All right. The real new Utrecht High School in Brooklyn cannot be seen in this film because this was shot in Hollywood on a back lot. But if you want to see what the real new Utrecht High School in Brooklyn looks like, it's featured in the opening credits for Welcome Back, Cotter. Welcome back. Yep. So you can Google that. This was a follow-up, I already mentioned, to Anchors Away with Gene Kelly and Catherine Grayson that was also shot in color with Frank Sinatra, Old Blue Eyes. And that was a big hit. And then they followed it up with this black-and-white film. Which, if your nickname's Old Blue Eyes, put some Technicolor on that. I'm just going to say, if anybody's going to be named Old Blue Eyes... Frank Sinatra is not my first choice. I mean, our first choice is The King, which I said my, there's a book coming out with all these like rarely seen photos, and there's this one photo of Paul Newman standing, and his what is it says get really stoned. And yes, he's, on his t-shirt. Yeah, an iconic t-shirt, and he's wearing like Jaws 1980s corduroy shorts, Jaws era 1980s corduroy shorts. And he's got like two growlers in his hand and he's barefoot. It's just, that's the smile all day summer vibes is this man. (laughs) This man is my all time everything vibes. So, so in the anchors away per the trailer at the end of the trailer, it says, quote, two hours of star spangled entertainment for anchors away. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, those are my, because this is the follow-up to that. This is, uh, you know, you're, you're not really missing much with this film. This isn't one you have to watch. And you're welcome for uh, us watching it for you. So next week. It's my turn. Oh, here we go. Curveball. Get ready. No, it is a curveball. I want to, like, I wanted to pick this a movie by the starring Virginia Rapp. Do you guys do you guys know her? Virginia, it sounds familiar, but it's not loading in my brain. It was like 1920s, 30s, but like all of them. I listened to a podcast, this podcast called Morbid, and they were talking about like Fatty Arbuckle might have murdered her. Oh, yes. that's yes. how I know the name. Yes. yes. I couldn't find any of them, like any of her movies that you could watch, like maybe on YouTube. They were just all old silent. So we just canceled that idea, but I recommend the podcast. Um, so I decided to go pride themed. Excellent. Oh. I don't think you're not going to guess it. 
I don't think I think I picked a movie you won't guess. Okay, I like this. 1994. 1994. Here's the cast. Terrence Stamp. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh my God. Uh, exactly, Christine. I've never this seen like... this. Can you believe me? Yeah, I've never seen this. I, I want to see this. This has always been on my list. You said 1994, and you said it was Pride theme, so I just went into my memory bank of like early you, 90s. This like has what been I my heard life with about. her for 41 and a half years. This is yeah. fantastic. It's an Australian film, correct? Where is the adventure yeah. of Christmas Queen of the Desert follows drag queens and, tran and transgender women as they travel across the Australian desert and Priscilla, a lavender tour bus, to perform a drag show in Alice Springs. Just fantastic. Along the way, they encounter a number of obstacles, including homophobic abuse, violence, and of course, other drag-related shenanigans. <laughs> oh, it sounds perfect. But I'm, I'm still like, how the fuck does she do this? Because I like was being think. They covered this heavily in Entertainment Weekly. Not like heavily on the cover, but it was always brought up of how good the movie was. And it was but something then you that can I remember that from reading that in 1994. Yeah. Well, I don't know the exact. I know like the. I can narrow it down into chunks in my brain of like er, like 90s. And so and I'm like, were, all right, it's in the 90s. You were in college at this time. No. Wait, you I, graduate? Oh, 98. Yeah. Oh, so, shit. You were a freshman. Yeah, I was, I was like big into this. Was like my, the, the big time when I was reading Entertainment Weekly cover to cover. And may I share, she saved every single one. Now, right. something, when we had the floors redone, something might have happened to her cash of Entertainment Weeklies under her bed. Yeah, th those could th those could go. Like that's fine. It was it was, but it's unbelievable. Yeah. But but it, it's it's one of those annoying things where I can't use it to like I'm not Mary Lou Henner where she can just pull up like from any day. Like it's very come and go, and not in any way that can monetize. Yeah, you're not gonna win uh, Jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah. just it's just where and how many times have we had podcasts where I say that and it's not what it is. So it's not just a very bias. frequently. Truth it be happens told. a lot. But this is I, I've always wanted to see this because I've heard yeah. such, such things. And we're going to watch it on. I don't know. OK, oh. well, there's a... <laughs> I think it's on um, Apple TV, actually. OK. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Okay, well, this has been an episode. First no, of all... Of okay. Christine has a birthday tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. Happy birthday! Happy birthday to you. Oh, my gosh. I know. Do you have to go to work tomorrow? Yeah, I gotta go to work tomorrow. Okay. Oh. Look, Manzel, there's our package and seeing them cut through all that all that uh duct tape was 
I, I love and it. as an extra birthday present, Teeny, we did a tradition that you often do at Christmas time, whereas there you have another gift that will probably arrive in August. Yeah, oh, when yeah. We can, part of that will be arriving at the beach for you. There was a failure of communication of sorts. Somebody was quite disappointed that I didn't get it. But you'll see there, there wasn't room for it in that package when you open it. I mean, it is quite compacted. So yes, more yeah. is coming in yeah. August. We did most of our celebrating today. Oh, nice. And yesterday. Just because pop, the whole theme of your birthday this year came from Poppy. Poppy oh, right. That's decided right. the theme. And so to find it out. I know it's rather it and it was crazy because it went with the theme of remember I told you that that I came up with an idea for a gift as soon as Christmas happened and then I had it and I didn't tell anybody and then Poppy said his idea and I was like oh my gosh that goes <laughs> along with what I was thinking and so then I was like, all right, fine, you can have it. And there was a failure of communication. So then I you're going to get to see that. But then you have more coming later. So it, exactly. it extends. Exactly. And the Triple Ds were involved in a touch of it. Oh, oh my God. Yes. It is funny that it's a theme. <laughs> it's, it's... So that has been our episode of it happened in Brooklyn which was supposed to be a tree grows in Brooklyn but I couldn't find it and so moving on next week <laughs> will be interesting mm -hmm. um well listeners there you go bye, -bye. Uh, bye.